0: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Movie Brats podcast. I am Carter in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and joining me as always is Jonathan in Greenville, South Carolina. How are you doing, Jonathan?
1: Happy soon-to-be Halloween!
0: (laughs) And To celebrate Halloween, me and Jonathan are going to count down our top 5 favorite horror movies. Uh... We're going to start in a little switch of pace with Jonathan today, because I keep hogging all the uh, the attention being a first this time, so Jonathan's going to start with his number five horror movie.
1: Again, I should say that I am the real horror buff. Uh, Carter hasn't even seen most of my top five, and he has major gaps in his horror <laughs> uh, film knowledge, so I'm the one you should really trust. Yeah, he the is picks, the
0: expert, but... I am just someone who is trying to sort of keep up with the theme of it being near Halloween.
1: So I think the only film uh, that is in the modern era in my top five that, well, modern era, it's, it's like, you know, within the last 50 years that uh, he has seen is The Evil Dead, Sam Raimi's 1981 feature debut. I've seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. Uh, It is based on his own 1978 short, Within the Woods, which also starred his friend Bruce Campbell. After they made that short, they scrounged up a very small budget, and they shot in a cabin in the woods in Tennessee with a crew of just 13 people, and they reinvented and smashed horror cinema, and it's an incredible work of art. It is a film that some people view as schlocky, and I think so bad it's good, but I think it's genuinely a a masterful film. I think that it has so much cinematic bravado, the camera work, the sound design, even though it has very limited budget, and there's limitations on the film, the acting is not great, there's not really much narrative to speak of, but the simple cabin in the woods, five friends go and they unleash this unholy, ghoulish spirit and it turns people not into zombies because they're... I'm very particular about this. They are not zombies because they're not dead and they don't eat people. They're in the sequels called Deadites, but they become these ghoulish creatures that the only way to stop them is by total bodily dismemberment. And I think this film is incredible. It's about... 85 minutes long and once it starts it doesn't let up it's non-stop blood and gore I love there's a deleted scene in John Waters Pink Flamingos where the character says rivers of gore rivers of gore that's how I feel about this film it just it doesn't let up and I, I adore this film and I love the whole series but I still think that the first one is my favorite
0: yeah, it's sort of popular opinion that the second one is the best out of the series, so you disagree with that?
1: I maybe would say I love them both about equally, but there's something about the original that it is a legit horror film, and the first sequel is really half horror, half comedy, and it's one of the best horror comedies ever, but I don't know. I have a soft spot for the grungy, original it just has i i love the look of the deadites i love how low budget and disgusting it is they're spewing all these different multicolored bile looks like milk or ink is coming out of their mouth or all different orifices and it's it's i know it has all these limitations but it has just this incredible power and inventiveness to it the camera work is from the point of when it's the point of view of the forest they really just put the camera on a board and ran through the forest and it proves that you know you don't need these incredible expensive special effects with computers you can just put a camera on a board and run through the forest and that's more effective than having some digital shot zooming through a forest so the only thing that Ramey said that he would not do today is the tree rape scene which is actually pretty <laughs> genuinely disturbing but, uh, and I do have to say, pretty much every film we're going to be talking about has a sequel or a remake or some continuation. I was actually, I went up and down with the remake. At first, I was like, oh gosh, how dare they make a, do a remake of one of my favorite movies. But then Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, uh, and the original producer were all going to be producers on the remake, and they're going to use a lot of... Practical effects. There's not a lot of CGI. And then I got excited, and I got really excited, and I was like, I really want to see this. And the trailer was awesome, but like my one of my favorite film critics, Mark Kermode, said, the original film is yee and the remake is ugh. There's a difference. There's you know, there's a glee and a kind of a. Funhouse, Carnival thrill ride quality to the original. And I felt like the remake was just ugly and sepia tone. And it just was, it was unpleasant. And I remember there was a scene where someone was getting shot with a nail gun. And I looked at my watch. When s- someone's getting shot with a nail gun in a film and you look at your watch, you know there's a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, that so is a I bad really <laughs> just,
1: I, I admire the craft of the film the fact that they used a lot of practical effects, but it completely missed the tone. Even though the original is really disgusting and gory, it has a fun quality to it. It has this outrageous bravado to it, and I feel like the remake is just ugly and relentless, but it doesn't have the kind of goofball poetry of the original.
0: Yeah, that's something that sort of comes across in all of Sam Raimi's film. A lot of people might be more familiar with his work on the Spider-Man series, which sort of has some of that uh, that carryover of sort of like schlockiness to it, but also like a nice sense of fun and not taking yourself too seriously. Um, so what do you think of the third uh, movie in that franchise, Army of Darkness?
1: I think it's a hell of a good time, but <laughs> it's my least favorite of the series. I, I thoroughly enjoy it, but I kind of have a deep love of the horror aspect of it and and the series got progressively less horror and more comedy and I I love the comedy in the series but I still think the original is uh, the top spot for me
0: Okay, now we're going to move on to my number 5 movie in my countdown which is sort of a horror comedy it's definitely not a straight horror movie it is What We Do With The Shadows from 2014 directed by Taika Waititi Who is since sort of blown up uh, after he directed uh, The Hunt for the Wilderpeople, which became sort of a sleeper indie hit, and then the Thor Ragnarok movie, which was just, like, enormous. And, unfortunately, that's sort of the track that uh, indie directors take these days. They make something good and original, and then they're hired to do a Marvel movie. And he did about as good as you can with a Marvel movie, of making it his own sort of style, but, you know, you'd sort of wish that they would do sort of original stuff again. But, uh, What We Do in the Shadows is about a documentary crew that follows a group of four vampires who live in Wellington, New Zealand.
1: It's been like this the whole time. Deacon on dishes and it still hasn't moved in five years. You're a cool guy, but you're not pulling your weight in the flat. Oh, I'm glad to hear that I'm cool. No, that's not the point, though. You're yeah, missing no, I the know, not a flat meeting about how cool you are. When you get three vampires in a flat, obviously there's going to be a lot of tension. <laughs> Viago was an
0: 18th century dandy. Look, a ghost cat. Vladislav is a bit of a pervert. This is my torture chamber. The deacon's like the young bad boy of the group. I'm supposed to pay rent? But I don't. And it just sort of follows uh, them adjusting to sort of contemporary life and stuff like that. And it's actually got a few genuinely, I wouldn't say terrifying moments, but some sort of frightening and like scary stuff in it. It's not all comedy. If you're going just for like entirely laughs, it's not really like the cheeriest sort of movie. But it definitely is more of a comedy than it is a horror movie. Like, there's a, a scene where they have, like, a new vampire who they just bit, and he brings in his friend who starts showing them, like, videos of sunrises on YouTube, and it's just some of the funniest stuff you'll ever see. Can we see a movie of a sunrise? <laughs> oh, shit. Ooh, nice. That sort of, like, works on the uh, the tropes of vampires and horror movies, and it's streaming on, uh, I think, Amazon at the moment, so if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check out What We Do in the Shadows. It... I'm not exaggerating when I say it's one of the funniest movies I've seen in, like, the last 10 years.
1: I saw it when it originally came out in theaters, and it's it's a really funny movie. And I think one of the strongest aspects of it is the relationships with the characters and how they play off each other. And <laughs> I like the character that Takiki plays himself. That's how you say his name, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, And he plays this very... Or White nebbish... <laughs> <Y-T-> yeah. <laughs> I kind of combined his two names. Yes, you did. Uh... <laughs> But um, he, uh, he, there's. I love the scene where he puts down newspaper when he plans to bite the person. Oh and yeah! He ends up having blood spraying <laughs> everywhere. he hits an he's artery, very... and he's
0: like, "Oh no!" <laughs> He's like a German God. fop sort of character. And that's one of the sort of funny things about it is all three are like different age vampires. Like Jermaine Clement from uh, Flight of the Concords is like a, <laughs> he's basically like Count Dracula. His name is Vladislav and he's from like the Middle Ages and he like impaled people before he became a vampire. And then Taika Waititi is like a German fop from like the 18th century. And then the other one is like a sort of like 19th century. <laughs> they call him the young one in the group, but he's like 180 years old.
1: I, I like how it pulls from different vampire uh, films and literature. You have one vampire that looks like a combination of Max Shrek from Nosferatu uh-huh. and uh, the Toby Hooper television movie of Salem's Lot based on the Stephen King novel. It kind of combines the look of those two. Yes, uh, Peter. But yeah, it's, <laughs> this is uh, they're going to do a TV series uh, based on the film and it's going to be called Werewolves, like we are wolves, werewolves werewolves <laughs> and um uh, that's gonna start i think early next year sometime and i thought it was wellington
0: paranormal i thought it was about the two uh police officers who like show up in the middle of it yeah it's wellington Paranormal. yeah it's coming out on fx i think the
1: original year. i think the original title was werewolves
0: okay yeah <laughs> that's one of the funny things in do. is there's like a group of a werewolf support group they like uh, they're not allowed to curse. So one of their taglines is "werewolves, not swearwolves.
1: <laughs> well, and part of the humor of the film is the fact that it's this down-to-earth, you know, documentary, mm-hmm. but it's supernatural. So they tr- com- you know, it's the humor is combining the, you know, confines of a documentary, but with all the supernatural and horror and fantasy elements going on around them, that that produces a lot of the humor.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like a. I think they say the documentary crew are all wearing crucifixes, so as to protect their safety from the vampires.
1: Well, it kind of reminds me some degree of uh, "Man Bites Dog," which is a much more disturbing film. But that's about a camera crew that follows around a, a hitman, and they keep losing people on the crew. But um, <laughs> the, but this is definitely, even though it has horror elements, it's definitely uh, a light hearted, definitely more of a comedy. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> right but um, my uh, my number four is also a horror film that has a lot of humor in it and it's George A Romero's Dawn of the Dead from 1978 it's a sequel 10 years later to his own film Night of the Living Dead in 1968 George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead it became the classic horror film of its time. Not that room, not that room! Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it
0: kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly.
1: Dawn of the Dead. The original film Night is you know, it tended to be a disturbing horror film that drew on Vietnam and the racial tension at the time, and it's a very claustrophobic film. And Romero himself said that he thought Dawn was not supposed to be scary. He didn't really understand why people, unless they were real young kids, thought the film was scary he was influenced by ec and dc horror comics and he wanted it to be like a fun ghoulish romp and i think it's one of the best horror films i think it's the best zombie film ever and i love night but dawn of the dead to me is the best zombie film ever and it has this great satire underneath it because it's set in a shopping mall and the people, the main four main characters, uh, hold up there. And there's this commentary on the consumerism of the era. There's all these mindless zombies walking through the mall. And it's also commenting on the media, because early in the film, there's this radio station that's putting out incorrect information that's old, but they want to keep people listening, drive up the ratings. So they're giving out false information, but they do it so that they can have people keep listening and drive up the ratings. So it's it's really fun. It's a good action. And there's wonderful blood and gore from Tom Savini. It's mainly in the first half hour and the last half hour. But there's actually good character development. You get to know the main characters. And it's not just mindless gore and blood. That's what a lot of zombie films forget is that if you don't or if you're not invested in the characters what happens with the blood and gore isn't as effective when you actually care about the characters and their stakes that means something and i think it's uh romero's masterpiece i think it's his best film and i miss him he died a few years ago and he had uh they just announced that he had many many scripts that he had written that he never got to make so if you haven't seen night of the living dead do see that but also see Dawn, which is one of the best sequels ever made. Um, it's 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 a real horror classic, and I think it's even better than the original.
0: Oh yeah, what do you think of the sequel to this one? Or sorry, the remake to this one?
1: It's fantastic. It doesn't have the satire, and it doesn't have the weight of the original, but it's just a really good bloody, gory zombie film, and it's one where they're running. And Romero said, no, zombies can't run. They're dead. Their ankles would snap, <laughs> which I do think there's kind of a logic to that. But uh, Zack Snyder actually, you know, he's done Man of Steel and 300. I, from what I've seen of his movies, I think it's by far his best film. And even Romero, who was not too keen on the film, admitted the first 10 minutes of the remake is is amazing I mean whether you like the rest of the film the ten min- the first 10 minutes is pretty flawless but yeah it's one of the best horror remakes um, of this century it doesn't like I said it doesn't have you know it's not on the same level as Romero's but it's just a really fun zombie film have you seen either of the
0: versions? I've seen the remake I haven't seen the original one and I have not seen In Night the- of the Living Dead <laughs>
1: You've movie sinned. You're never <laughs> supposed to see a remake without having seen the original.
0: Hey, I'm just a, I'm just a millennial. That's how yeah. we work.
1: <laughs> I know. It's like I saw What Price Hollywood before I saw A Star Is Born because I. Well, you could just say I'm OCD, but like I'm. I hardly ever see a movie unless I've seen the original versions.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're moving on to my number four, which is The Thing. Uh, Directed by John Carpenter from 1982. It is based on the 1938 novella, Who Goes There, by John W. Campbell Jr., which I read before I saw the movie. I actually read it in a modernism class in college, and it is a truly terrifying novella. Uh, I think it might be more unsettling than actually the movie is, because it just, I don't know. It gives you a real sense of dread that you like can't trust anybody, and like you can't even trust yourself. It's a very disturbing book.
1: And they just announced that they found an extended version, like a novel-length version of the story. So that's going to be released, hopefully, to the public sometime.
0: Yeah, so if you haven't read that, I mean, maybe you don't want to because you don't want to be up for, like, three nights consecutively. But it's really good. And uh, the movie, uh, The Thing, is actually sort of a remake of The Thing from Another World from the 1950s. But it sticks much closer to the original source material than uh, than that movie does. And... Uh, it's got some of the most disturbing creature effects that I've ever seen in my life. Like, uh, <laughs> there's the whole concept is that there's this alien who sort of lands on Earth in Antarctica, and it's frozen before being dug up by a Norwegian sort of expeditionary crew, and it uh, makes its way to the American sort of base in the form of a dog. And uh, <laughs> there's a scene early in the movie where it sort of like, uh, <laughs> yeah it uh twizzlers yeah exactly like twizzlers. that's a very good way to describe it it like sort of eats the other dogs and like tries to take the form of it and it's like oh my gosh it's one of the most disgusting things you'll ever see but it, like...
1: there are some of them there's some of the most wtf moments in horror history
0: oh no doubt about it i watched it again this last friday and it did not lose its ability to completely disturb me but despite that it's actually a really fun movie to watch it's got a it Classic Kurt Russell performance as McCready, who I guess is as close to the protagonist as you'll find in the movie. But uh, yeah, it's just, it really captures the sense of the novella about like the paranoia of the people who are in the the base and just how you can't trust anybody around you and you can't even really trust yourself because the alien sort of copies the person almost identically and even like takes their memories and their personality. So like anyone around you could potentially be the thing. And it's uh, a lot of like older horror movies sort of lose their ability to scare you. They feel really dated, but the thing does not feel dated. And a lot of that has to do with it's really incredible creature effects. And just the story is just like, I don't know, it's very timeless. And it like does not lose its power to just totally scare the shit out of you.
1: It doesn't seem like it would work because the tone of the film is very bleak and it's claustrophobic. They're stuck up there, and it's it just has this real grim quality. But the special effects are so outrageous, and it, yeah. it's not that it's it's not so much that it's funny, but it's just so over the top and insane that sometimes you laugh at it not because it's it's that it's humorous but it's just it's almost like a releasing of tension you're like oh my god yeah Yeah. and (laughs) uh and that mix of like very grim subject matter and tone with the insane over-the-top special effects but it somehow it does work it does you know it's very disturbing and i i mean i still you know i love practical effects and that is like the best that's ever been in film history, that and Cronenberg's The Fly and American Werewolf in London, like those are way up there. It's like they had really mastered the practical effects. And uh, the original film is good. Howard Hawks was one of the producers, um, but this is another one. This is a film remake that is better. I think Cronenberg's The Fly and John Carpenter's The Thing are both uh, superior remakes. And it's interesting when the film came out, it did not do uh, well with critics or at the box office. One problem is that E.T. came out at the same time, and people were like, yeah, we're going to go see the family-friendly alien film by Spielberg, and we're not going to see this bleak, incredibly gory uh, John Carpenter film that's all men stuck in the snowy hellscape.
0: Um, As each one but- dies off. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And uh, it has some great character actors like yeah. Wilford Brimley's in it, and Keith it's David. very right. And uh, is a guy named Richard Dysart or something like that. He who was in Being There. Yeah, he's the
0: doctor in Being There, right?
1: Right, and he uh, he plays uh, in this film. But yeah, it's it's um it's definitely one of Carpenter's best films, up there with Halloween. And it's it if if you haven't seen it before it's really one to see with an audience if you can because it's such a you get such a reaction out of the audience
0: i bet i wish i'd seen it with an audience because there's so many moments that are just like totally what the fuck and like even having seen it there was like one moment i don't know if i should spoil it but like i don't know a guy like gets well, his arms his hands ripped off and that was just like holy shit i totally forgot that that happened and like almost made me jump out of my seat just sitting by myself in my living room
1: I love the scene where they're testing the blood, and the man's head opens up like a Venus flytrap, like <laughs> literally like eats another man, and he's like flailing in the air. It's just so insane, but it it, it yeah, it's 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 really good. It's really worth seeing. Um, and it was actually also so,
0: remade recently. I didn't actually see the remake. Did you end up seeing that?
1: No, I have no desire. It's not yeah. one of the ones that I'm like, oh, I never, ever want to see that. But I'm just like, yeah, I just don't really care to.
0: Yeah, there's not too much of a point to it because it's not like this one feels super dated or anything like that.
1: Right. But it's one of those things where, you know, when they did the remake of The Magnificent Seven, you can't go, oh, they're doing a remake. Well, because it was a remake to begin with. Yeah, but at that's some point yeah, it's you know it's like they're doing another Scarface supposedly, and it's like well that was a remake, the one in the '80s was yeah. a remake from '130s, also Howard Hawks film connection. But uh, my number three pick is I think the best film sequel ever made. Uh, even more than The Godfather Part II and The Road Warrior. It's uh, James Whale's Frankenstein, uh, Bride of Frankenstein from 1935. It's a sequel to his own 1931 film. And I think it's the best of the Universal Monster films. It's just, it has a little bit of everything. It's it's very funny. It's a very funny film. Uh, There's these homosexual undertones because Whale was uh, gay himself. And there's the character... Pretorius, and he's very kooky and uh, campy, and there's a lot of odd uh, moments between him and Dr. Frankenstein, but the movie's also very moving. You have the scenes with the blind hermit, and I think those are genuine, and they they show the monster having a humanity, and even though it's called Bride of Frankenstein, she's only in the film at the last 10 minutes or so, uh, played by Elsa Lanchester, and she also plays... Mary Shelley at the beginning of the film, the author. So she plays two uh, characters, and she probably has about 10 minutes of screen time in the whole 75-minute movie. But she is such an iconic character. It's it's just that hair with the stripes up that looks like the electrical stripe. And it's, it's just, it's an incredible film. It's, it's a little bit of everything. It has different tones and even at 75 minutes, it's just, it's so memorable. And I, I just, I really love this film. And uh, also uh, there's, I just wanna mention John Carradine and Walter Brennan show up uncredited. So it, there's there's a lot, there's so much goodness in the film.
0: How uh, how close does a uh, young Frankenstein stick to the plot of Bride of Frankenstein?
1: Well, I mean, it pulls from really the first three uh, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Son of Frankenstein. They have, you know, obviously the the hair. Because when from he said Bride. the blind
0: hermit, I was like, that's Gene Hackman. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Right, that's 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 one thing they take from it, and they take from *Son of Frankenstein* the inspector that they can't understand what he's saying, <laughs> and the, yeah. the crowd goes, "What?" Yeah, but yeah, the original *Frankenstein* is great, but it is one of those early sound films that's kind of creaky and it doesn't hold up perfectly. But *Bride* is just it's, and it's one of those sequels that actually picks up right after the original. I mean, it, it you know the original ends with him being uh, the, the the windmill burning and the sequel picks up right after that where it's smoldering and he's coming out of the water at the bottom of the windmill and it's 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 really I also like to say that I like the character that Una O'Connor plays as Minnie she plays this this very british woman and she's just like constantly whining to the police because she sees the monster and no one believes her and she's just a great comic relief in the film so even though I I think the film is really beautiful and moving in parts. It's also very funny, and it has all this odd, these odd moments throughout it. Uh, and there's also Christian uh, symbolism. There's a part where the monster is tied to a um, a, 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 um, a staff, like a, a big stick, and it looks like he's being crucified. There's all this kind of Christ imagery in the film. So there's a lot to dissect from the film, but it's it's definitely one of the best. Uh, you know, classic horror films, you know, like before Psycho, it's one of the greatest, uh, you know, it's the best, I think, of the monster films from Universal. You should definitely see it if you've never seen it. And you don't really have to have seen Frankenstein to see it, but you should see both.
0: Yeah, Universal was like the big horror studio in the 1930s. It did like The Wolfman and The Mummy, and it did uh, Dracula also, right?
1: Yeah, so Dracula and Frankenstein both came out in – Thirty-one. Todd Browning did Dracula, and then James Whale did Frankenstein. And he also did Bride of Frankenstein and The Invisible Man starring Claude Rains. And then The Mummy uh, starred Boris Karloff, who played Frankenstein's monster. Uh, those were all in the early 30s. And then you had The Wolfman in the early 40s, I think 41, with Lon Chaney Jr. And Bela Lugosi was in it. And then uh, in the 50s, you have Creature from the Black Lagoon. But the, some of the most iconic ones came out in you know between 31 and 35. Bride of Frankenstein's 35. And just so if anyone is looking for something to get for Christmas, they're releasing like a 30-plus film set of the Universal monster films, not just the top ones but you know house of dracula and frankenstein meets the wolf man and i i grew up watching those movies the two types of movies that got me interested in older films when i was young were the classic comedies charlie chaplin buster keaton you know the comedy teams, W.C. Fields, and then the Universal monster films. I grew up loving them, and they—they uh, they really have a—you a, know—a big part uh, in my heart. Uh, my love of cinema comes from these old monster films, and it kind of hurts that they're trying to reboot them and they're doing things like
0: the Mummy doing a with really Tom bad movies. job at it.
1: <laughs> what they need to do is get directors like Guillermo del Toro or get some of the old masters like. John Carpenter, or you know, get someone cool to and give them freedom to make these movies, and not try to MCU it, not kind yeah. to make this, you know.
0: Oh, what do they call uh, it? The Dark know, Universe, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the Dark.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think technically the first one is Dracula Untold, or whatever it was called. That had um, Luke Evans, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, I didn't see. I just I, I don't. I'm not against them doing new versions of these horror classics, but they need to have. A reason and an artistic vision behind them and not just be like we're gonna do the mummy and we're gonna do frankenstein and yeah. just have it be like these big giant cgi action and films. make a sexy frankenstein
0: played by javier bardem
1: <laughs> yeah like the wolfman uh, i don't think that's an official film in the that's on guillermo del toro the, it, Benicio del Toro. Starred, oh, sorry, yeah, Benicio um, del Toro. Yeah, yeah. You, you made the same mistake that Rex Reed did in his review of The Shape of Water. He called, uh, he he didn't call him uh, Guillermo. He called him Benicio del Toro. Oh, I
0: to but, it the reverse way.
1: <laughs> but yeah, they just, I mean, I they just need to be more old school and they need to be smaller. I don't understand why they need to be these giant sweeping CGI action films. Like, make creepy little intimate horror films that that's what they are but yeah. they don't ask me I sort of that, like the I, idea I,
0: of having like uh, people like Guillermo del Toro or something like that remake it because you know all these sort of like horror directors have a favorite monster like that so if they just like made their version it would be filled with a lot of like affection and nostalgia for those sort of movies so I don't I'd love to see that
1: I know why can't they give John Carpenter who's only done one film in about 15 years why can't they let him do that
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I mean he's only like he's I I don't I think he's about sixty nine now or seventy. I mean he's not he he still has it in him.
0: Yeah, he definitely would. So going yeah. through intimate horror movies brings us to our next one, my number three, which is Alien from nineteen seventy nine, directed by Ridley Scott. It is actually Ridley Scott's second movie after he did. The Duelists a couple of years prior, and it is a total change up from that. It's like a historical epic set in the Napoleonic era, and Alien is just like this claustrophobic haunted house—sorry, haunted house movie in space—and uh, it's sort of a mix of science fiction and horror. Uh, but ultimately, it is a horror movie, and the monster is, is the alien, and uh, it just does such an excellent job of capturing the claustrophobia of the spaceship and. The like sheer terror of being trapped in a place with like absolutely no way of getting out with this like horrible creature. I think one of the taglines from the movie was in space no one can hear you scream. And that just captures like the feel of the movie so perfectly. Because it's just like, you know, this thing is terrorizing the whole crew and there's absolutely no escape from it. And each one is just getting picked off one by one. And uh, much like the thing, it has some really excellent creature effects. Uh, the sort of iconic ones are the face hugger and the chestburster. And the chestburster is an incredible sequence where uh, uh, John Hurt is just like having... Uh, it's, if anybody's seen um, Spaceballs, there's a very, very good <laughs> spoof of the chestburster sequence um but
1: yeah it's referencing referencing looney tunes also
0: yes exactly which Spaceballs is a classic classic movie that not enough people have seen but uh it's not that good <laughs> it's one that i grew up on so it's got a special place in my heart but uh alien it's uh,
1: every everything post history of the world part one mel brooks i love mel brooks but it's it's kind of like you know it's not it's not nearly as good as his
0: i mean yeah if you're comparing it to like blazing saddles obviously it doesn't match up but i don't know i think it's funny but alien uh spawned the sequel aliens aliens is much more of an action movie but alien is like horror all the way through and like i said before the claustrophobic feel of it is just incredible and it really holds up to this day um, and it's just sort of funny to think about that the Alien franchise has become such, like, a huge thing, but the first movie is just so small and, like, so, uh, just, like, carefully done on really Scott's part, and now it, we get Aliens and Alien vs. Predator and this whole Prometheus franchise, which sort of builds on the mythology of the, uh, space jacket, I think they call them that they find in the original Alien movie, and I wouldn't go as far as to say it ruins Alien, but, um, it works much better when the sort of like alien aspect of it is a mystery, and Prometheus has not done a good job of expanding on that. Jonathan has something he wants to say. <laughs>
1: they uh, they should do with alien what star wars has done with george lucas just kick him to the curb and not let him touch the series for a while they need to let him uh they need to get a young director like they were going to have the director of district nine do an alien film but ridley which was very exciting but yeah
0: he got that the rug pulled out under him neil blomkamp yeah
1: yeah, I, I actually think Prometheus is pretty fun, but I thought the last alien film was maybe the worst film I saw that year, and it, wasn't we quite. saw it together, actually. Yeah, we did. And it just, it just, it takes the simplicity of the original, and it puts in all this stupid mythology that isn't interesting, and it's not scary or enlightening, and it turns it into this just big, giant remake of the original where it's a bunch of people getting killed on a spaceship but it's too big it's not claustrophobic and just fundamentally to me if you have a CGI alien it's not that scary because they they're so fast and you know you can do anything with CGI the fact that you had a man, basically a man in a rubber suit or you had an <laughs> animatronic head there's a weight to it there, mm-hmm. there's attention to something actually leaping out on set but you have a thing just crawling around zipping around the screen with CGI. That's not scary. It's alien should not be CGI. And I do, I think the original is fantastic. I think uh, it is a great example of mixing genres because it had what Star Wars had by making uh, space and the future very grungy and dirty it wasn't this slick you know everything is a white surface and everything's uh perfectly technical it's very kind of run down it's like a trucker it's like it's it's like they're truck drivers in space Mm -hmm. and i think that one of the powers of the original film like jaws is that you barely see the alien until the very end it's uh, it's shadows and you know you can almost say it's disappointing when you finally see the monster because you never like it's the shadow and the little bits and pieces that you put together yeah. in your mind
0: just sort and of like hanging went... around the air ducts and making noise and everybody's looking for it and a great yeah. one is when they've got it on radar and it keeps coming towards them and they're like it should be right on top of you
1: <laughs> i was going to say if the trailer is one of the best movie trailers ever go yeah. back and look at the original trailer for alien it's really good and i was just going to mention that uh, one of the big influences on the film is that they basically said they wanted to do a haunted house film in space, and they said that Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the big influence on the film. They basically wanted to do that in space.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, it's got a great yeah, so. cast with a whole bunch of character actors like Harry Dean Stanton, uh, John Hurt, Ian Holm plays uh, an android in it. And it's just awesome as like the uh, sort of unfeeling science officer slash android. And obviously Sigourney Weaver in her first like major film role is really iconic as Ripley, and then Tom Skerritt as Dallas, the captain of the Stromo. Um, it's one of those sort of the '70s I actors, did. yeah, who doesn't sort of appear in movies after that. But he, at his time, he was really good. And I, I think he does a really excellent job as uh, as Dallas, who's supposed to be sort of like the hero of the movie until Ripley takes over at the end of it.
1: I love aliens also but i still think like evil dead the first is the best one
0: of the Mm -hmm. series and it's just totally different feel from the first movie it's like much more of an action movie than alien is and you know as uh and james cameron is want to do it's very big and very sleek and very high budget but it's i i i still genuinely love it oh it's not yeah it's a great movie
1: yeah. Um I was going to say the third one. I so wish it was David Fincher's first film. I wish he had been given final cut and freedom because it's such a bad film, but you you really wish. Like I want to see David Fincher take over and direct an alien film now. That would be amazing.
0: That would be amazing. And it would just if but, he actually uh, did get like have his vision of it. That's such an incredible like first movie, second movie, third movie of Ridley Scott, James Cameron, and David Fincher. Like, that's almost as good as you could ask for for three separate di- directors given their own sort of visions of the franchise. It is really disappointing he didn't end up getting to make the movie he wanted to make. I know.
1: But uh, we now, my second choice, I mentioned it earlier, both on this podcast and in a previous one, we did an episode on Hitchcock, and by far my favorite Hitchcock film is his 1960 film, Psycho, So I'm not going to go on and just repeat myself from what I said in the previous episode, but I definitely think it's a masterpiece. It changed horror. There's horror films before Psycho, and there's horror films after it. There's kind of, that's the bookmark. That is how you can judge cinema in the horror genre. I mean, I don't know. There's been a lot said about it. It's based on the real serial killer Ed Gein. He also influenced Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Silence of the Lambs. And I don't know, it's brilliant. It's Hitchcock, you know, went going from these big technicolor films like Vertigo and North by Northwest. And then he took his television crew and shot this black and white horror film based on a novel from the previous year, bought up as many copies of it as he could. So no one would know the ending told people he couldn't, they couldn't, go into the theater late, they had to be there on time. Some totally changed. (laughs) I know. They had the thing that said that even if the Queen of England came late, that she wouldn't be allowed into the theater. But (laughs) it's had an incredible impact on... I mean, it's the granddaddy of the slasher film. I mean, there wouldn't be Halloween. There wouldn't be Friday the 13th. There wouldn't be all these terrible films. But we shouldn't (laughs) blame Psycho because it's a masterful film. And... All, like I said, with Dawn of the Dead, you actually care about the characters, even someone like Norman Bates, who is a horrible person. You feel sympathy for him in a situation. And Janet Lee is terrific, even though she isn't in it, but no. Sp- Spoiler alert for 45 minutes. <laughs> Something happens to her you know, early in the film. I won't give that away if you it's haven't seen it. It's tough to spoil
0: it. a movie that came out almost 60 years ago.
1: <laughs> I know. But uh, one of the things that makes the film so memorable is that it plays the audience. It's one of the great manipulation of an audience because – If you didn't know anything about it going into it, like the original audience, you're following this character. She steals some money from her work. She's having an affair with a married man. And then all of a sudden, eh, she gets killed off. And then you totally are switched, you know, who is the main character, what's happening. And then the ending completely messes with the audience, too. And you have to have this... You know, it's just it 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 was totally shocking at the time and I still think it packs a punch today. It still has a great power. I mean, it's not really scary, but it it's 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 very effective
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it stays with you in the performances. I mean Anthony Perkins, you know, one of the great you know, that's like to me the greatest Oscar snub in history that he wasn't nominated for best supporting actor. But that's you know, we crazy. talked about psycho earlier, but it you know, I could wax on.
0: <laughs> we did like a good yeah. half an hour talking about it.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, you know, if you haven't seen Psycho, you know, you really don't have any validity talking about horror films if you haven't seen Psycho. It's like that, you really have to see it to be able to say anything about the horror genre, I think.
0: No, I agree with that. That's totally. And uh, moving on to my number two, which is The Shining from 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? Well, a man named Charles Grady is the winter caretaker. And he came up here with his wife and two little girls, I think about eight and 10. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and... Uh, killed his family with an axe you can rest assured mr omen that's not going to happen with me the shining is sort of one of those (laughs) basic ass horror movies which is this kind of stuff that i like that like pretty much anybody who doesn't even really like horror movies has probably seen the shining um it is an absolutely mesmerizing movie. It is one of the first movies to use a steady cam, and it makes incredible use of that with the sort of sequences following, uh, Danny, the child along, uh, on his big wheel in the hallways of the, uh, the Overlook Hotel and it's got a very slow pace to it, but, uh, it just sort of draws you in and then it just like explodes in like the last 20, 25 minutes and, uh, It's really effective. how it, like, draws you in at this very slow sort of mesmerizing pace with just this sort of, like, uh, imagery that's, like, very, uh... I don't know. It's framed in such a strange way that, like, everything is, like... The focal point's always in, like, the center, and there's always stuff sort of framing it, so it sort of, like, draws you in and sort of, like, lulls you into, like, this false sense of security. And, like, just like the sort of sequences where Danny's driving around, you're like, oh, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, like, that's totally fucked up. Um... But, yeah, absolutely iconic performance from Jack Nicholson. Nobody does crazy like Jack Nicholson does. <laughs> and It's great to see him just totally lose his mind at the end of the movie. And it seems like he had a lot of fun doing that. Um, I know you're a big Shelley Duvall fan, but I get annoyed as hell with her in this movie. And she just has such a strange performance. And apparently she was really affected by the sort of, like, long shooting schedule and Stanley Kubrick's really demanding sort of directing and I think that sort of comes across in the performance, which might work for some people. But for me, I just find her very, very irritating. Um, but yeah, classic horror movie, The Shining. If you haven't seen that, I don't know what you've been doing with your life because it's on pretty much every Halloween. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you should fix that immediately because it's one of the best horror movies ever made.
1: But don't watch it on TV because it's pretty long. And if one you watch, you know, there's a little bit of nudity in it and there's spoiler some violence you know so you don't want to watch it's you know on amc or something that's not a good idea watch it uncensored in one sitting but i was gonna ask if you ever read the original stephen king novel
0: i have not read the novel and i hear that stephen king was very unhappy with the with the film version of it but that just sounds like a you know author who thinks his shit is so awesome and he's like oh my stuff is better than stanley kubrick's version of it
1: well, the I really do like the novel, but it's one where the film is even better. They He totally changed it for the film. It's uh-huh. The main criticism that King had is that he feels like his writing, his novels are warm, and Kubrick made a very cold film, and that that was his major criticism. And he said that Nicholson, by casting him, because he played so many crazy characters before, especially... One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, that as soon as you saw him in the film, you knew he was going to go crazy. And in the original novel, the character doesn't go crazy until like the four-fifths of the way through the book. And so it is a very – I mean, you could do a whole class on the difference between the novel and the film and you know, the art of adaptation, but Kubrick kind of took the essence of the novel, and he really boiled it down, and he captured – I mean, I do think it's a really great – you know, not faithful adaptation of following the exact narrative, but he does a really great job of capturing that claustrophobia and that dread. There's such dread in the film that, you know, there's only three characters for a lot of it, mm-hmm. but it's just very unnerving and you you just know you know, you know the whole film that it's not gonna go right. <laughs> and it's that that quiet ratcheting up of the tension and then in the last section, and there's all these very creepy things like the man in the dog suit that looks like he's blowing the guy, yeah. you know, you know what I'm talking Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, oh, there, yeah, and yeah. also the part where the blood comes out of the elevator. If oh, you look, yeah. It really looks like there's a body there when it falls. Oh, yeah. It, like, it, <laughs> it's. It's probably just the way that light is hitting it, but when it hits the ground it looks like there's someone in the fetal position on the ground. There obviously isn't because you just see it falling but it's there's they did a whole documentary. Have you seen Room 237? No, I
0: haven't but this is like a movie that spawned like so many fan theories about like what the shining is really about and all that sort of stuff.
1: It's about the Holocaust, it's about Kubrick <laughs> yeah. admitting that he faked the moon landing footage. It's about America's about...
0: mistreatment of the Native American community.
1: <laughs> right. And I think 95% of it is nonsense, but yeah. it is kind of it's a very entertaining documentary and it shows you how people can get all these different interpretations. I mean, it's down to people looking at the can of food in the storeroom and how it's turned in between shots and it's it gets very nerdy. That is super but, nerdy. Uh, Yeah, well, I'm nerdy enough that my email has 237 in the email. Oh, really? It's part of my email. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And also, this is really random, but there was a quite good thriller a few years ago called The Gift that Joel Edgerton directed and starred in. And towards the end of the film, in the hospital, the room number is 237. Oh, how
0: about that? Not
1: to the... Yes, of course. Kubrick changed it in the book. It's a different number, but it's like, of course, he had to just change that. There's no real reason to change it. But there is all this creepy stuff that happens. If you watch that documentary, there's some genuine you know, analysis that's interesting, like the way the kid drives around the hotel and they pull it up like a bird's eye view of the layout. It doesn't match up. And it's really creepy how oh, yeah. he'll be driving and like he's suddenly on another floor Or like there would there wouldn't be another room there it's very it's creepy yeah
0: Yeah, this movie is not so much like scary as it is just like unsettling and it just like gives you this like sense of dread as you're watching it
1: I think one of the criticisms people have that there I I know horror fans who love horror films and they're not a fan of The Shining because some people criticize saying that Kubrick made a horror film not knowing the genre and that he made it for people that don't like horror films and I could see that. I, I love but... the, I, I love the film, but it's not even—I wouldn't say it's
0: even one of my top five Kubrick films. Yeah, that just is me—a guy who hasn't is. seen a bunch of horror movies. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm a yeah. basic ass horror fan. Yeah. Putting The Shining I, in my it, top I think, five. I—I
1: I, I love Carrie, but I do still think it's probably the best film based. Uh, I'll say it's the best horror film that I've seen based on a King novel oh, yeah. or uh, writing. But, um, so you got to put Shawshank well,
0: Redemption up there and stand I, by well, me.
1: Well, I have to go to my number one, which uh, it's shameful that you have not seen because it is, I think – you know, like with the Hitchcock top five, Psycho was my number one Hitchcock. Like I could argue about three, th- you know, the two or three and four and five, you know, I could switch them. But there's no question my favorite horror film of all time is the Texas Chain Saw Massacre from 1974. And I always am very particular. That it is chain, space, saw. In the original spelling, in the original title, chain and saw are two words. Uh, it's the film by Toby Hooper. The film, which you are about to see, is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. In particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare the events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of american history the texas chainsaw massacre it's also based on the serial killer ed gein Um, it's this grainy incredibly powerful horror film it looks like a snuff film it looks like you're actually watching a documentary Very simple story about a group of five young friends that are out in a van and they're driving around Texas and they get kidnapped by a clan of cannibal, uh, evil Texas people and Texans. (laughs) And it's really genuinely disturbing. I think a lot of the best horror films ever made came out in about a 15-year period between the late 60s and the early 80s, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, Don't Look Now, Carrie, Alien, The Shining, The Evil Dead. But the one for me, when I watch it, when either I see it in a the theater or I watch it at home, I turn the lights off and I put the film on and crank up the sound. There's no horror film that's more visceral and disturbing and potent. It just it absolutely grabs you and does not let go. And the ending is one of the greatest endings in film history. And even though it's a very disturbing, unpleasant film, it just leaves me elated. I just am so happy when I see that movie. It may, it, I feel like going up people on the street, strangers, and just like hugging them and saying, you got to watch this movie. It's so great. And I I just, it, it really is, you know, I, it's odd for some people, but it really is a perfect example of why I love film. It just shows the power of it. And there are a lot of people like Nicholas Winding Refn. I think it's, if it's not his very favorite film of all time, it's one of his very favorite. And he agrees with me that it just, it really is one of the best examples of the power of cinema. And the thing that's interesting about it too, is that there's virtually no blood or gore on screen in the film to the point that when it originally came out, when there wasn't a PG 13 rating, Hooper tried to get it rated PG and he kept cutting it down and down and he would send it to the censors and he would say there, you, "Like you don't see anything. There's no blood or gore. But in, they said, we can in good conscience give this a film a PG rating. It's just so... The, the overall dread and tone of the film is so disturbing that they couldn't give it a PG rating. But if you actually look on screen, there's virtually no blood in the film or gore. Stuff happens and you see it on screen sometimes, but you don't see the wounds. Like someone will get hung on a meat hook or someone will be chopped up with a chainsaw, but you're not actually seeing it on screen. So I I just think it's... A masterpiece. I love. There was one quote where Stephen King said that he would happily go to any court in the country and defend the film, defend the film on artistic merit. And I, till, until the day I die, I will defend it as being the best horror film ever made and one of the best American films of the 1970s. It's 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 a it's a truly brilliant movie, and it's not just like some schlocky, you know, slasher movie or uh, gory horror film. I think it's a truly brilliant masterpiece.
0: Oh, well, sounds like I need to see it. <laughs>
1: and, and we've been talking about remakes and sequels, everything as a remake and a sequel. Um, there are only three films that I absolutely refuse to see in my life. There's plenty that I don't care about seeing, but the Michael Bay produced, 2003 remake stars jessica beale and the next two films i absolutely refuse to ever see them and i have friends who say well i mean it's not it doesn't compare to the original but you know as far as pointless horse remakes go it's not that bad and it's you know it's actually you know really nasty and gory and it's as good gore effects and i'm just like no 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 no. i just i hold the original in such high regard i just can't do that i I don't ever ever want to see it even though the orig- uh, the remake does have uh, the actor from Full Metal Jacket. What was his name? Arlie Armory? Uh, uh, yeah, he's in it, and they say he's really good, but I just, Michael Bay produced Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake just does not sound. No, that good doesn't to me sound
0: good. <laughs> Even to me, no. who never saw the original and doesn't hold it in as yeah. high regard as you do, that does not sound very interesting.
1: Yeah, it, you absolutely need to see this uh, big screen, uncut. It's only about 83 minutes long. It's it's. I actually went this summer to three of the filming locations from the film. My saint of a mother agreed to go with me on this trip where we went to the house that the last section of the film takes place in, and it's now a really charming restaurant. Uh, <laughs> That's and hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, they have uh, the, they still have the stairs, you can go up and down the stairs, and it's just very quaint, like, it's it's like a, um, a caboose, it's like, they have train imagery in it now. They don't hide the fact that it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but they don't really play it up so much, but the place that does is the gas station is a barbecue restaurant now. Um, and they have a bunch of horror memorabilia, not just Texas chainsaw, but Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers and Chucky. They have a bunch of figurines and posters. I got a pair of leather face socks um, <laughs> there, but, um, but I, and we also went to the cemetery that is at the opening of the film. It's, um, you know, they they have the decomposed body uh, on the uh, tomb of one of the tombstones. Uh, so we went to that. And also, I have to say, I went to Paris a few uh, about a year and a half ago with my mother, and I'd never seen a film in a country where English wasn't the first language. And I didn't want to spend my whole time in Paris going to see movies, but I saw that there was going to be a late night screening of the original film. So my mother and I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was in English, but with French subtitles. So... Uh, And I just like to point out I'm Facebook friends with three of the actors from the original film (laughs) and the woman who gets hung on the meat hook and the man who is one of the male leads in the film. And also the guy who plays the grandfather, who's actually was the youngest of the cast members, even though he played the grandfather. But it's because he has all that makeup on. And I do think it's funny that it it was a really hard shoot because it was so hot. Like one of the people that worked on the film said, I was in Vietnam this was worse. (laughs) He said that shooting in the, you know, the worst heat of Texas was worse than being in Vietnam. But uh, yeah, it's a masterpiece if you haven't seen it. And even people that think, oh, I would never want to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If you care about cinema and you're okay. I mean, there are people that just, they are never going to watch a movie called that and they're not going to like it, but don't let the title Push, push, push you off, put you off because it really is a brilliant film, and it's I think a, a, a true work of art, and it's a film that every film buff should see, and in the best possible condition.
0: Yeah, if you ever wanted to hear someone totally fan out about uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you just got your wish. <laughs> um,
1: I, I mean, it, I, I'm not the only one. I mean, oh, I know. From what I've seen, this is like one genre. of the
0: most well-regarded horror movies ever made, which. It sounds like I should have probably seen it by now, and I'm a little bit uh, embarrassed at this point that I haven't.
1: Yeah, it's the one that, like I said, it hold, I, there are a lot of great films from that era, but that's the one that just it, it, it truly holds up. But what is your number one? It's also, we've talked about all, uh, you, well, I don't want to spoil it, but another Ed Gein-inspired horror film, which is?
0: Which is The Silence of the Lambs from 1991, directed by Jonathan Dim. You spook easily, Starlin? Not yet, sir.
1: He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose.
0: Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's
1: got real physical strength, cautious precise and he's never impulsive he'll never stop
0: but in order to track him down she'll have to match wits i'll help you catch him clary
1: believe me you don't want hannibal actor inside your head with the darkest of all
0: minds just do your job and never forget what he is but oh, he's a monster pure psychopath so rare to capture one alive so close to the way you're gonna. Get. It uh, <laughs> remains to the this late, point, the late, the late yes, the passed away last year, um, remains the only horror movie to have won Best Picture. It actually won all five major categories that year. It, it swept actor, actress, screenplay, director, and picture, and it is totally deserving.
1: Even though Anthony Hopkins, you could argue, really isn't the lead actor because he's only in the two-hour film about 25 minutes.
0: Yeah, Scott Glenn almost is more of the lead actor than Anthony Hopkins is. But Anthony Hopkins makes every second count. Absolutely iconic performances as Hannibal Lecter.
1: And random trivia, he never blinks on screen in the whole film.
0: That is, I I mean, (laughs) that's something that most certainly probably contributes to the totally unsettling nature of his character Hannibal Lecter. But yeah, totally unsettling movie from like the very beginning of it where, uh... Clarice is like running through the fog doing her like FBI training stuff and the music is just like giving you this totally weird feeling it is a totally unsettling movie and much like The Shining there are very few moments that are like truly terrifying but it just has a sense of dread to it that lasts the whole movie and it's just like you know unsettling everything is so dark oh my gosh everything is so fucked up. And uh, totally ruined Tom Petty's American Girl for at least a couple years for me. Every time I heard that song, I just thought of Catherine Martin getting kidnapped in the back of a van. And literally every time I heard it, I was that was the first thing I thought of. It wasn't until like maybe three or four years ago that I could actually listen to that song again without thinking about that. Um, yeah, what do you think about this one, Jonathan? Silence of the Lambs.
1: It came out the year I was born. Obviously, I didn't see it when it originally came out, but it's, oh, it's, you know, I think I've only actually seen the film once, but I I do love it. I think it's, yeah, there's a lot of films I really like that I've only seen once. I've um, seen it at least like
0: 10 times. For me, it is a very (laughs) rewatchable movie, despite having some like unsettling moments in it. I watch it all the time.
1: One that stands out to me is where the man is masturbating and throws his semen. Uh, multiple minutes really a, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know this is not the first Hannibal Lecter film. Do you know what the first one is?
0: The first one is Manhunter, which is a Michael Mann movie.
1: Where yeah, which is actually very good. But it's Brian very Cox 80s.
0: plays. Oh, it is so eighties. Like the main character is wearing his suit with the the white shirt underneath without a tie and everything like that, with his like ridiculous hair. It's really 80s. I don't think it holds up very well. A lot of people think it's a a really good movie, and some people, I think they're just being like movie hipsters, say that Brian Cox's Hannibal Lecter is better than Anthony Hopkins, which I find completely ridiculous, but people say that.
1: I, I, I'm a big Michael Mann fan, and I do like the film, even though you kind of have to look at it through, you know, you got to realize it's a very 80s film, and I think the 80s is the worst decade in and human history like i'm including like the black plague and like those decades like like the 80s is the worst decade in like written human history but um you know there's some good films like blue velvet and Uh ran you know but uh there's there's so much garbage but great film and you could argue shape of water is kind of a horror film one of the genres one Best Picture.
0: I suppose you could. I think that'd be stretching it a little bit, but I think it's almost sort of a stretch to call Silence of the Lambs a horror movie. I think it's more of a thriller. But I think the same goes I... with Rosemary's Baby, but people call that a horror. But That's know. definitely a horror film. Okay. I think it's a thriller. <laughs> That's like what comes down uh, to the this... question of what's the difference between a thriller and a horror, but...
1: It's funny, I never think of Jaws as a horror film, but i don't I'm not saying it isn't I just never think of it as a horror no film. neither do I, I think that Which is a, why
0: I didn't put it yeah. in here even though I really like the movie
1: yeah it sounds to the Lambs really has it's interesting in Demi's career because he had done different genres he had done a you know a film that's kind of like a thriller last embrace and he had done you know but mostly he had done these comedies you know these with great performances you know you had um you know, married to the mob, and you had, uh, you know, concert films like uh, the Talking Heads film Stop Making Sense. Mm-hmm. And But then you have him do *Sounds of the Lambs, which seemed kind of odd in a way, but that just showed how eclectic he is. And I do think it drew on his history of starting with Roger Corman, who actually has a cameo in the film. I think that deep down, there was this kind of grindhouse director in him, and he took the subject matter and really elevate it and made it a really brilliant, um, you know, artistic achievement. It was, you know, it, it, it really does a good job of balancing being this kind of nasty horror film, but having a real sincerity and, it, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a really good, serious film, but it's also very fun and it doesn't mind getting nasty too.
0: And very complete sort of complex chari- characters. Clarice Starling, I think, is one of the great characters Uh, at least female characters in the history of cinema, and with a really uh, incredible performance by, uh, what's her name? Uh, Jodie Foster, who sort of has uh, lost a little bit of uh, the steam that she had going at that point, which is a real shame, because I think she's an incredible actress. Right up there with, like, Meryl Streep, but obviously she has not had that same sort of career.
1: Yeah, what's the last film you've actually seen Jodie Foster in?
0: I really couldn't even tell you. Like, most recent... Did you see The Beaver... I did not see Yo, The Beamer. But she like directed, you were saying about Jonathan Dim's earlier movies, have you ever seen Something Wild from uh, 1984? Yeah, that's a great film. And I think that sort that's of has bits of Silence of the Lambs in it, and it's sort of like last half hour. It sort of starts as like this fish-out-of-water romantic comedy, but then it turns into this very disturbing sort of domestic violence movie. And I think you sort of see a little bit of a, a precursor to Silence of the Lambs in that one.
1: Yeah, I really miss Demi. I got to see him at the Nighthawk in Brooklyn. I, they had a screening of his very first film, Caged Heat, which he did for Roger Corman, and it was really great seeing him. He was just such, I mean, everyone said he was such a wonderful person as well as being a great filmmaker, and he was one of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's heroes. He uh, dedicated Phantom Thread to him, and he spoke so highly of him. And, um, yeah, I, th- I you know, he wasn't that... You know, old when he died, but still, he we could have had a number, another uh, decade of his films would have been nice.
0: Yeah, to answer the question of the last movie I saw with Jodie Foster in it was Elysium from 2013, which is a really good movie. Yeah, connecting
1: movie. back to Neil, Neil, uh, the guy did uh, was going to do an Alien film, Yeah, supposedly. Neil Blomkamp. You know,
0: that's the Matt Damon starring, right? Otherworld rich person movie. I really didn't like it, but yeah, that was the last one I saw on her. She was in Hotel Artemis this year, which seemed like sort of a fun movie, but I never got around to seeing it. No one did, yeah. (laughs) um, What were some uh, other movies you had uh, sort of fringe top five sort of stuff you were thinking about?
1: Well, I mean, I wanted to mention that uh, I love Freaks, uh, the 1932 Todd Browning film, which is one of, I mean, I love *Bride of Frankenstein*, but it's not really scary. There's no, okay. There's been about seven films that ever scared me. The first time I saw it, and uh, *Freaks* is one that is genuinely creepy. And and you you know because you're watching these actual performers from the circus, and it it, it, it it's very disturbing. And it, it's only about 64 minutes long, but. Freaks is a classic, and it was banned when it came out, and people were definitely not ready for it. They were uh, upset by it, just the idea of having these people on screen. But Freaks has a real power to it, uh, and it's 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 a it, it, that's a good one to show uh, younger audiences because it's an older movie. Like if you're trying to figure out. You know, some classic horror films that's not, you know, Freddy versus Jason, some horrifically violent movie. If you want to show some classics, go back and show the Universal Monster films as well as Freak's brilliant movie.
0: One I had in my sort of top ten was Scream. What do you think about that one? That's very, like, basic horror movie, but I watched that the other day. And the opening scene with Drew Barrymore, I think it's, like, really, really brilliant. And the rest of the movie is sort of like a send-up of the horror genre, but that first scene I think is just incredible.
1: Well, it com- it deconstructs the genre. It's not, I mean it, it's it's kind of a landmark horror film now, but it, it it's very different because it really, it's one of the few horror films where the characters in the film know of horror films and they know the tropes and the mistakes the characters make. And they still make them anyway, but that's part of the fun. Of it. And it's interesting though that really before that, people forget, I think, the best... Nightmare on Elm Street sequel by far is Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which came out a few years before Scream, and that is also a very interesting deconstruction of the genre and about how it affects people. And that one, it's about the actors and the director of the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and they find out that Freddy Krueger is an actual demonic force, and he's out to kill the people involved with the film. And uh, I think Scream is the best but that's a very interesting precursor to Scream if you haven't seen New Nightmare. I highly recommend
0: that. No, I didn't even but hear uh, about that. But that's a crazy concept.
1: And it has Freddy Krueger. I mean, it has uh, Robert Englund playing both Freddy Krueger and himself.
0: Oh, really? And you
1: have, uh, yeah, Wes Craven plays himself. The head of New Line Studios plays himself. Yeah, it's a oh, wow. very interesting film. Yeah, you definitely need to see it. I think it's... I would argue it's almost... If it's... I think it's by far the best sequel, but I think it almost is as good as the original Nightmare on Elm Street. But um, I, I do want to mention more recent ones. I think The Witch is one of like the five best horror films of the last about 20 Genuinely years. Genuinely disturbing movie. Right. I think that it has – I liked how one film critic said that the film the film feels transgressive, like you shouldn't be – it feels like you shouldn't be watching it. And uh, I always had a thing for witches. I, I love witches. And that film c- captures the, like, deep, dark, like, in the woods. Like, not the, you know, Halloween costume with the pointy hat and the broomstick. But, like, the really, you know, like, the... Like the, the, the satanic sort
0: of elements of it.
1: Right. Like, the naked, like, old lady who's, like, wa- you know, wiping baby blood on her. Like, that, you know, that shit. That's, that's really... <laughs> Um, But I also have to say that um, as a maybe precursor to the next episode or whenever we do talk about Suspiria, I'm highly, highly excited for the new Suspiria, which is playing in select theaters and it's playing on on Halloween uh, evening, some theaters, and it's done incredibly well at the box office. I think they were worried that this two hour and a half plus horror remake from a film that Many people probably haven't seen, you know, they didn't know how it was going to do, but it did extremely well. Box office, uh, theater by theater. Yeah, I think average. it was only playing in
0: two or three theaters, and it made like $200,000, which is like a pretty incredible yield.
1: Right. Um, I was going to mention that there, uh, with the horror genre. There, you know, there's so many remakes and sequels, and there's been a number of good ones. I mean, like we said, The Thing is a remake. It's very good. I like David Cronenberg's The Fly. So, you know, there's not like, you can just dismiss all the remakes. And even films like The Evil Dead, that's pulling from Night of the Living Dead and The Exorcist. So, you know, it's like, you know, there's a long history of pulling from other films, but I do think that uh you should people should go back and watch the originals uh to see where it came from. I I always get tired of people acting like oh the conjuring that's the best horror film ever made. I'm like, yeah, no, it's not. I mean, it's a good film, but I I I don't act I don't understand people that are like 19 years old and act like the conjuring is the best you know that c- horror cinema has to offer. It's like a solid film, but come on. You know, if you haven't seen Psycho or nosferatu oh i was going to mention i actually went to a screening of nosferatu with live musical accompaniment oh, that's and that cool. was really yeah they actually cut the film down to just an hour and it's like 96 minutes uncut which you know but i've seen it before but yeah. it was
0: uh, that movie was freaks really- me out just because the guy who plays nosferatu the vampire is just oh my god he like haunts my nightmares he's the freakiest looking person that you'll ever see max I yeah, and you yeah. know
1: that do you know they, they made a film? Have you seen Shadow of the Vampire?
0: I have not seen that.
1: Do you know the premise of that film is that Willem Dafoe plays Shrek and John Malkovich plays Murnau, and the conceit of the film is that Shrek was actually a vampire?
0: <laughs> I mean, I buy it. He, like, genuinely disturbs me just looking at him. Like, just yeah, pictures Dafoe... of him scare the shit out of me.
1: Willem Dafoe was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for it. But um, it's – and then Werner Herzog's remake is actually very good. And connecting again to something I just mentioned, I heard that the director of The Witch is going to do yet another version of Nosferatu.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool.
1: But uh, but I heard that he's doing a black and white film first with Willem Dafoe. Oh, how
0: about that? Willem Dafoe just makes movies with everybody.
1: (laughs) Oh, he he and Tilda Swinton – have the most amazing track record of working with awesome directors. Like Willem Dafoe has worked with everyone from... Uh, well, he's, he's have a, he's great because he's worked with both David Lynch and David Cronenberg. That's like, there's a a very short list of actors that have been with my two favorite Davids. He's also worked with John Waters, Oliver Stone, William Friedkin. He's in Finding Nemo. He's been with Catherine Bigelow and Abel Ferreira, Lars von Trier, An, an insane list. And then Tilda Swinton. I mean, like there was one 12 month period where she was in films by Jim Jarmusch Terry Gilliam, Wes Anderson, and Bob, uh, the director of *Snowpiercer* and the host, South Korean director. I mean, it, it, in like one 12-month period. So, yeah, they're they're the, they have the most awesome track record.
0: All right, so let's just recap our top fives. Mine was five: *What We Do in the Shadows*, four: *The Thing*, three: *Alien*, two: *The Shining*, and one: *Silence of the Lambs*.
1: Uh, Mine, five, The Evil Dead, the original 1981 film, four, Dawn of the Dead, the original 1978 film, three, Bride of Frankenstein, two, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, and one, the original The Texas Chain Saw (laughs) Massacre.
0: (laughs) All right, so thank you for listening to us discussing our favorite horror movies. Uh, Happy Halloween and... uh, We'll catch up with you all you next go week.
1: Watch, you go watch you go watch Texas Chainsaw sometime.
0: <laughs> I'll definitely try to do that as soon as possible. Maybe I'll do that tonight now that the World Series is over and I have nothing to watch. So, yeah, thanks for listening, and we will have a new episode for you all next week.
1: I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fox
0: gonna get a big dish of beef chow